Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, a beacon of self-sustaining clean energy. (laughs) Today we are talking about Minute 24, which begins with Steve's exit and ends with Christmas. Uh, Back on the show, it's author Ryan Dalton. Hello, Ryan. Hey, guys. We've had Hulk, we've had Black Widow, we've had Steve Rogers, and now we get Tony Stark. Wow. Yes, this was this was by design. This is why <laughs> I chose I these minutes. Say, smart man, smart man. So we talked for two entire minutes worth about your love of Hulk, only to find out at the very end of our last minute with you that you like Cap more. So I got to start here with this question. Where does Tony fall? <laughs> so this isn't a bait and switch. I'm not going to be like, hey, by the way, Iron Man's my favorite. Iron I just Man figured it out. I just, <laughs> I just, in between minutes, read another comic. You know, uh, <laughs> um, you know it, well, my kind of my view on um, comic uh, Tony Stark and comic Iron Man before the movie started to come out, I always thought he was cool. You know, he was he was fun, but um, I, I but he didn't resonate with me in the same way that that Cap or Hulk did. He was fun. O- always liked. I liked some of the the runs. Like I thought the Extremist comic one was really really good. Um, there was some compelling stuff, um, but he he just to me was a little more fun and didn't have quite the same depth of character that i enjoyed with with cap and, and with hulk um but these movies that were really great for uh, uh introducing a uh, kind of reintroducing iron man to me you know the way that that um robert tony jr portrayed him and everything were really i think added a dimension to him that didn't exist so much in the comics uh, and i think has done a lot of good for for tony on all fronts both in the movies uh and in how he's portrayed in the comics so he he actually uh, I feel like to me has been elevated as a character since these started. Though I will say, as as a, a fan of some of those uh, comics, the the seventies run where he's an alcoholic and like really falls hard with that, and ends right. up homeless and everything. Like there are some pretty dark periods in his life in the comics that uh, you know we I, I they touch on briefly in the films, but um, I did really enjoy. Um, that stretch of of tony's line yeah that's true you know when i started reading the uh the comics uh, it was i didn't really read the demon in the bottle series or anything like that so i yeah it could be that i i just read the stuff that was you know that didn't hit the deeper stuff for him yeah yeah, yeah. um before we get into tony though was there any last thoughts about uh the the interaction between steve and and nick we do get steve's response to to nick's line from yesterday's minute when nick asks him if there's uh, anything you can tell us about the tesseract that we ought to know uh and then steve responds here at the start of this minute you should have left it in the ocean and i guess that goes a little bit to our conversation yesterday but um any any final thoughts on this conversation well, you know, again, it keeps going back to what I say I admire about this movie. It's an economy and how basically just with that one line, Steve, you know, with that little bit of dread in his voice sums up his whole experience with the Tesseract. And it's enough, especially, you know, if you're if you're my friend who's never seen a Marvel movie and comes in <laughs> and is watching Avengers, that one line would tell you, oh, this thing is bad news because Captain America says it's bad news. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was really well done. That's a really good point. That line plays almost better 
as a mystery thriller if you haven't seen the rest of the movies. Right. Yeah. You should have left <laughs> it at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's good. Of course, we start the film with the Tesseract and the other talking about it and that whole crazy <laughs> intro and everything. So you're already like, what is yeah, this crazy thing? Yeah. No, it's not a mystery thriller. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we, uh, we cut in to an underwater scene. Uh, it's actually so dark that it's really hard to tell where we are, except that we hear underwater sounds. So we kind of get that sense that we're underwater. Um, and then we see some seaweed growing on what looks like an underwater power line. And then, hey, I recognize that hand. It's Iron Man. And uh, so now... We have seen in this film so far Hawkeye first, then Black Widow, then Hulk, then Captain America, and now Iron Man. Thor is the only one we're missing. We'll have to wait a little longer for him, but we're getting all, we're getting all these pieces in place. It's nice to see we're in minute 24, so in the first half hour of the film we have introduced 5 sixths of our team. And I uh, to your point Ryan about kind of economy uh, I think that they're doing it in a way where everybody's given a little bit of a moment to kind of, you know, uh, Hawkeye can be argued, but still, they're all given a moment as far as setting up who this character is. And one that doesn't feel that rushed, you know, it, it, it's well done. It's like everyone gets a little vignette. Um, it's a, You're right, it's a satisfying moment. And, and so because all of their intros have a beginning, middle, and end, it doesn't feel like we're rushing too much from one to the other. Every scene still has a purpose that's above and beyond just, hey, here's this character that, that you like. And so, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting pulled right along through it, uh, through all the scenes, and uh, each one has a, a reward for you. Right. Now, what apparently Tony is doing is cutting into uh, <laughs> cutting into a transmission line. <laughs> an HV, this is an HVDC transmission line. They run under the water. It's a high voltage direct current transmission line. He's cutting the shell of it off. I, I guess we'll just say. I my assumption is electricity, water. You don't want to do this. You want to keep it dry. I'm assuming that's kind of what the pipe is doing, is keeping the wires dry from the water, which I'm assuming he's now flooding with, uh, with as he cuts into it. Um, <laughs> I know it's Tony Stark. I know he kind of has his, his view of the world. He has that funky thing, right, that goes on it, which is cool. It looks cool. But did he have to pick right there under the ocean to cut that wire? <laughs> Like, it does hit land at some point. Right, right. I guess he figures no one will steal it if it's underwater. <laughs> maybe. Maybe the thing, you know, evaporates all the water that just got into the pipe. Like, I don't know. But it did strike me odd that this is the way that Tony has decided to do this. I'm going to cut into this line and uh, basically cut my new tower from this power grid. Yes. And, which seems like a weird way to do it. Like, how is he... I mean, obviously, this power grid is not just funneling into his building. No. Why isn't he in the basement of his building, cutting the cord there of his building? <sighs> this is very much in keeping with Tony's character. Yes. It's like, it's like trust me, you guys are going to love this. And if you hate it, I'll, I'll fix it. Whatever. And where is yeah. the power coming from? Jersey? Like, is that what he's doing? Like, is it is it all coming from some plant in Hoboken? And he has to cut it from there? Because it just seems like a really strange thing. Now, okay. So the utility of the effects sequence here is cool. I do love the fact that we open with Tony in the suit underwater. That is a new thing. 
I feel like that's an interesting way to introduce Tony. It is great to show that his uh, energy beams and all the stuff still works underwater. Everything's great. And the fact that to the suit, water is equivalent to air. Like he can thrust around and do all the stuff that he needs to do. And the the launch from the surface of the water, I think, is really cool next to the boat. It's it's all cool. It's very cool. Just don't stop and think about it, as with several <laughs> things in this movie. Don't stop and think about what his motivation here, because it's weird. Well, I think what they did is establish in canon that in MCU Earth, power lines are sub- are full of water. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So really, so, he's not doing anything to the line. It's yeah. a little bit of world building we don't talk about That's right. Much, right, right. Well, <laughs> now one more practical thing, for, or, or one more effects, like honorable mention for the effects is that not only do we get the launch out of the surface of the water, which is cool, but we also get the hero fly through of Manhattan, which is great. I love it as much as I love, you know, the Spidey sequences swinging through Manhattan. And we get to see the tower. We get to see Stark Tower, which I think is really cool. Do you think that there was like some sort of bid or did 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 MetLife just not pay enough to stay in the movie to have their building <laughs> replaced? Because you're looking at the skyline. You're like, where would they put that building? <laughs> it's not like they didn't just invent the Stark Tower there. They replaced a building. And I think that's hysterical. Like, what does what does uh, an occupant of MetLife think of this movie? <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, in order to get that shot where you're looking down that 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 street, like with like in between the skyscrapers and it ends at Stark Tower, that that a real a real building had to go. Because so. <laughs> what are they? They're flying up. Uh, he's flying up Park Avenue. Is that what it looks like? Well, yeah, I mean, we're yeah, it's a little farther down in the minute. But yeah, we'll we'll talk about that now. But then we'll, we'll okay. backtrack a little bit. I'm yeah, sorry. But you're I, mean, right. I just get excited about I, stuff. I know. I know you do. It's OK. That's fine. He's at that point. You're right, because I, I definitely want to talk about some of his navigation, uh, because yes. he's flying up Park Avenue directly toward the MetLife. This is up in Midtown Manhattan. Now, I did have this to say. For, this is from the Art of Avengers book, and it was um, James Chinland who had this to say about it, because the, the whole thing was they wanted to actually replace uh, the MetLife building. And so the idea was uh, what he said. Quote, the Stark Tower was the ultimate representation of this idea where Tony Stark bought the iconic MetLife building, formerly the Pan Am building, and ripped off the top, adding his own piece of parasitic architecture to the top. Which <laughs> <laughs> is fantastic. The height of arrogance and the essence of Stark. As a production designer, this was the most fun set by far for me having grown up in New York and looking at that building every day for my whole life. To be able to affect its history forever was an amazing opportunity. In choosing the MetLife location, we are also recognizing the rich topography of the streets below, which is a unique arrangement in New York, with the viaduct over 42nd Street and the tunnels behind Grand Central Terminal, not to mention Grand Central Station itself, the ultimate conflagration of rich histories and futuristic ideas. So, apparently a lot of thought went into picking this particular building, and I love, in in canon, in-universe, Tony actually bought the MetLife building specifically to do this. Just makes me laugh. It's perfect. <laughs> it is really perfect. And you can see it, too. Like, I know you, you're you looking at that book, but I'm just scrubbing through close-up images of, of the bit. You can see the the nuance of the MetLife sort of uh, facade and the shape as they, it doesn't look like that, but you can kind of see where he cleaved off part of it and yeah. put his own touch on top. It's fantastic. It's, it's really very fantastic. Funny. I love yeah. it. Yeah. 
It does make a kind of sense that he would want the former Pan Am building as well. For some reason, that seems uniquely <laughs> appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Right. So funny. And what I love about this also is, you know, per the comic book history of the character, this is who the character was from New York instead of the West Coast. And here he is kind of establishing roots on uh, in New York. So I like that there is this sense of bringing him over to this side of the country. <laughs> 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 all right. Now, I want to back up a little bit because we jumped all the way to that end. So first, when we see him pop up, oh, well, first of all, we haven't even said this is the Mark VI armor again, which we saw at the end of Iron Man 2 after he got himself all sorted out with his energy issues and uh, is is all healed up. It's the same armor. And uh, at this particular point, what, it, what he does, he pops out of the New York Bay. It, there's a tugboat going by, which I think I don't know. It makes me laugh a lot that there's a talk about it's night. You can't quite see that it's Iron Man. When I was like, do these people think like a missile just launched out of the bay? Like, what are they thinking when they see this thing coming out? It just it makes me laugh when I see. (laughs) And I feel like had the had the camera lingered on that shot as Iron Man leaves, it's like it would be. You know, the the surface of the water is just filled with dead fish. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Everybody knows there are no fish in the Hudson River anymore. That'd be disgusting. They're all dead anyway. But but it, it is it would be have been an interesting touch. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, now, he's coming up right between Jersey and New York. Governor's Island would be just off frame right if we uh, zoomed out a little bit more. And then Ellis Island and Statue of Liberty a little farther off to the left. It looks like he heads north toward Manhattan. There's Battery Park, uh, like right there, uh, at the, at the front kind of of where he's heading into the city as he's flying in. It looks like initially when he flies up, it looks like he goes up. Um, and, and just we should say this is also before one world, one world trade center was built. So we're not seeing that in the skyline here, but as he flies up, it looks like he goes up Broadway and, I guess they're doing a lot of, um, we, we cut into the hut a lot and we're seeing conversation between him and Pepper through this scene. Um, so he may be making some left and right turns for some reason as he's flying, but largely if you go up Broadway from this point in New York and you fly up, you're generally kind of almost flying straight up toward where the MetLife building is. And there is a point in the sh- in this minute here where he makes a hard like 90 degree left up Park Avenue to get to the tower. And it's like, when would he have actually like he would have to have z- been doing some crazy zigzags through the city in order to ever have to do that from where he's flying. So just pointing out in this in the scope of logistics, there is some wonkiness as far as uh, the way he did that. My only guess is that they decided we really want to see him bank left up the up park avenue specifically to kind of give us that reveal that's the only reason that it really makes any sense in context of what we're seeing here yeah i think visually it works it also gives him time to have his conversation um and it's yeah it's more interesting than having him just fly in a straight line uh, i think to see him do some maneuvers uh, you get to do the reveal of the street that culminates at, at Stark Tower, if I'm recalling how the shot worked. Um, yeah, you know, you know it's, it's, it's an alternate world, so maybe the streets are a little bit rearranged. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. 
that could be. Yeah. But th- this, uh, I love, I will say, I want to uh, tie this back to the, the first few seconds of, of the clip because this was why I chose these two clips because I love, again, the contrast of Cap's world and Tony's world. We, we went very quickly from a very old school looking boxing ring, uh, you know, with, earth tones and cotton and, you know, very, very, you know, down home fabrics and things and, <laughs> uh, and, you know, old style military and all, and all of that. And now we suddenly switch over to high tech billionaire playboy glitz, glamor media, you know, they, these two, I love how they show these two guys could not be more different. Uh, and I, just, I love the contrast between them. And again, it, it goes back to what I, I talked about in previous minutes that, uh, I love that, you know, finally, th- th- this this movie proved, yeah, you can have these two worlds in the same movie, and if you do it right, it works beautifully. The contrast is interesting if you do it right. For sure. And not only that, I think this movie sets up and earns a relationship that's worth paying off in Civil War, right? Like, this, this has to work, this universe has to work, and I think the movie successfully demonstrates it, or else who would care about having these two guys go at each other physically because they've already had like we already know that they are a battle of wit and will away from going to blows anyway mm-hmm. right yeah yeah in uh, in the hud i you know it's always fun seeing the hud and seeing how they're modifying it and stuff we got you know uh, pepper pots gwyneth paltrow uh, popping up and uh then we also see kind of a, a cg rendering of stark tower uh, as the power and we kind of get a sense of the power being diverted away from it and you can also see the arc reactor and it looks like it's horizontal underneath stark tower and i thought that was just an, an interesting way to kind of design it but it's nice to see that they thought about that and they let us have a little a very brief glimpse of it but it is there yeah. little easter eggs on the the huds are always fun to pause and and uh, just look at all the little elements they throw on there yeah, yeah. absolutely um, the only other note I have, well, I got a couple last little notes, but, uh, for, for people who are paying attention as you kind of, uh, see the tower light up and you see the Stark written across the top, uh, lit up up there, that A might look familiar. We might have seen that very A in the title sequence or in, in, not in the, in the title when the title <laughs> of the film popped up. It's the, um, what is the font again, Pete? Bank Gothic. Bank Gothic, and yes. of course they've extended a much the maligned leg of the a. typeface for titles. <laughs> much maligned, as we have learned. Is the Bank yeah. Gothic K that stupid with a weird gap in its uh, the the leg? No, because this isn't th- this isn't uh, the rest of the font on the building is a super bastardized like h- half breed between the Avengeance font and Bank Gothic. The title is is different, but you're right. The A is what ties the the monstrosity of typefaces together. <laughs> yeah. Although if we're going to go most hated movie font, I'd have to say probably from the avatar posters there, you know, the, the sort of papyrus, uh, sort of. you know, that has to be the, the, I would say the, the most hated of all. Yes. No, I think you're <laughs> yeah. exactly right. I think actually that's called uh sort of papyrus dot OTF in my font library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They already, they already overused it once just by putting it in serenity. It's just yeah. like, okay, I've, I've already seen that font <laughs> enough i don't need it in any more films. Yeah. <laughs> the last the last little note i had here is that uh, you know i i love we don't get the whole joke here but i do like we get at the very end of this minute tony when pepper says how does it look and he says like christmas and i was like you know 
weirdly, that's a nice little nod to Iron Man 3, which obviously they weren't planning. But I like that we have like this Christmas connection between uh, that line here and then, of course, the next film taking place around Christmas. And does that imply that he feels like he's the star at the top of the tree when they light up the uh, <laughs> the, the building? <laughs> he may think that, but he doesn't realize yeah. that there's going to be a giant blue beam, which is actually the star <laughs> later in the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a great nice. like I know we're going to talk more about this and unfortunately Ryan's not going to be here because the the monstrosity as it erupts from the MetLife Foundation at the very top with the the Stark and everything and he lands on that pad and eventually he's going to what I, I mean it snows in New York like there's a lot of exposed openness at the top that looks so <laughs> cool right now. But Pete, it doesn't actually you know, look great at Christmas. <laughs> Tony, Tony doesn't think about water. He's he's cutting into a pipe under the yeah, ocean with right. electric no, lines God, in Andy, it. I really appreciate you bringing that back around because you're absolutely right. Already forgotten That's that right. Tony doesn't need to think about water. That's right. It's only he, alcohol. He probably just continuously fire some kind of beam out of the roof to melt all the snow. It is, and, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. People, they'd, they'd all, everyone would like shake their fists at Tony all winter, like, ah, he melts all the snow and <laughs> turns into ice when it falls to the street. Right. <laughs> it's constant. Ice chunks just constantly falling <laughs> off of Stark Tower. <laughs> I hate these billionaires that <laughs> move in with their power suits. <laughs> that's what we need. We need a Marvel one-shot detailing some of the life of the people who kind of constantly are walking up and down the street around Stark Tower complaining about <laughs> all they have to deal with with Stark. Like there's broken window, broken windows falling, you know, pieces shattering on the street one day and equipment and don't falling forget, another. In the summer, that's a reflective building. I'll bet people's like cars are melting from sun that's reflecting <laughs> onto the street below. He'll pay for him. Tony's yeah. the worst. Tony's the, the worst. worst. <laughs> all right. Well, this seems like a great place to end our conversation today. Ryan, when are you back next? We have you for one more minute slated a little farther down the season. When is that? Oh, Do you remember? Boy. Nope. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember which minute. I don't remember which minute I chose. Uh, there were so many good ones. Minute 60. Um, okay. I'm going to tell you right 60. now. Minute 60 is, uh, oh, it's actually, um, it's they're on the helicarrier. Captain America walks in, and then it's it's the scene with uh, Tony and Bruce talking. Oh, nice! That so okay. So I already have alluded to one of my other favorite scenes. Man, you really locked them in, man. Yeah, that's fantastic. All my favorite the character moments and things. So yeah, I'll, I'll be really excited to talk about that. Oh, that's that's awesome. Well, we're looking forward to it. Uh, before you go today, though, remind everybody again one last time this week about your books and and uh, where they can look for them. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I have a time travel mystery series called the Time Shift Trilogy. First one is the Year of Lightning. Um, those are available anywhere easiest on Amazon because they've been out for a little while. Uh, I have a brand new book called This Last Adventure that is uh, available, uh, you know, anywhere books are sold, your favorite bookstore. If it's not on the shelf, they can order it for you. Fantastic. Well, we'll have those links in the show notes. And remember, if you don't see it in your podcatcher, just go to our website, marvelmovieminute.com. You can learn more about the show, all the back episodes from all of our previous seasons, find out about our membership, all that good stuff. And we'll be back tomorrow to close out the week with Minute 25. So uh, thanks as always, Pete. Oh, 25, Andy. You know that, Pepper Potts. Communications expert, PR savant, engineering mastermind, and paramour. Hmm. Until next time, true believers. 
Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>